0: It was interesting. I was just noticing in my own mind, here we are at the, towards the last day, the, towards the first day of our retreat. And noticing there's still, like, uh, after leading so many retreats, still a pleasant surprise to actually see that all of you are still here. <laughs> it's like, wow, even after day one, nobody has escaped. And it could be just because of my, own experience on my first retreat. I remember the the first retreat I did, it was a weekend uh, Zen retreat. And at the end of the retreat, it was so difficult and so incredibly painful that I told myself at the end of the retreat, I would never meditate again. (laughs) It was, it was, I knew it was too much. But maybe, maybe like many of you, the, the weird thing about the whole experience, even though I swear I'd never do it again, is that it, it somehow allowed me to touch a deeper way of being, a deeper way of, of living this, uh, this human life that I was given. And somehow that stuck. And somehow, I think I also forgot some of the pain, which is probably pretty good, at least until the next retreat. And so in light of this, uh, I, I thank you for your sincerity in, in doing this practice, because I know at times it, it isn't easy. What I'd like to do this evening is just begin with a poem to situate Possibly where all of us began this path and this, maybe even this retreat, and then to to go from there. And it's a poem by Ellen Bass, and it's entitled Insomnia. And she begins All over the world, people can't sleep. In different time zones they're lying awake, bodies still, minds trudging along like child laborers. They worry about bills. They wor- worry whether the s- shoes they just bought are really too small. One husband's, One's husband died, her son left for college, and she doesn't know how to program the VCR. Another was beaten by her husband. One is planning a getaway. One holding stolen goods. One's on the plaid couch in ICU. His daughter, it turned out, actually does have a tumor, even though the doctor said they do the MRI just to rule it out. The woman on the other couch is snoring, which is strangely soothing, evidence that people do sleep. Some are lying on charisma sheets, some in in hammocks, some in jail, some under bridges. One is at the North Pole studying the impact of pollution. A man in Massachusetts thinks about a lover he once had in Dar es Salaam and the jasmine blossoms she strung along, along the shaft of a silver pin fastened in her hair at night. Coincidentally, The lover, now in Rome, remembers looking out the window over the sink where she was washing dishes and seeing him reading in the lawn chair, and she thought how, perhaps, for the first time, she wasn't lonely. They're all up. Some are too cold, some too hot, some hungry, some in pain. Some are in hotels listening to people have sex in the next room. Some are crying. One, the cat woke up and now she's worried about the rash she noticed in the evening and wonders if her daughter, who's afraid to swim, should be pushed. Some get up. Others stay in bed. They eat Oreos or drink wine or both. Many read. A few make Halloween costumes. Chum check their email. They try sleep tapes, hypnosis, drugs. They listen to their clocks tick. Smartly, as a woman in high heels, those who can cling to their mates an ear pressed to those neighboring lungs like a stethoscope, hoping to catch a ride on the steady sleep breath of the other to be carried like a seed on the body of one who is able. Right now in Japan, dawn is coming, and everyone who's been up all night is relieved. They can stop trying. In Guatemala, though, the insomniacs are just getting started and have the whole night ahead of them. It's like a wave at the baseball stadium, hands around the world. So here's a prayer for the wakeful, the souls who can't rest as you lie with your eyes open or closed. May something comfort you, a mockingbird, a breeze, the smell of crushed mint, rain on the roof, Chopin's nocturnes, your child's birth, a kiss, or even me in my chilly kitchen with my coat on, thinking of you. All over the world, people can't sleep. Metaphorically, we can't sleep. This is the human predicament, isn't it? Is that we're thrown into this life of ours, and all of us here, I could probably safe, safely say, right? we've been conf- confronted by the challenges that suffer and the suffering that just comes with being a human being. This really is the first noble truth, seeing that this is is what it is to be a human being. At least this is one flavor that we want to examine. It doesn't mean there's no joys and happiness in being a human being, but it's also this human predicament that so much can bring us together. And for me, I think there's something beautiful that we can come together around this, that this is how we can relate. Oh, I get it. I, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to have difficulty. All over the world, people can't sleep. And it's not only that. Maybe what also brings us together on a retreat like this is also this possibility as Don was mentioning last night this possibility of freedom, of freeing the heart in some manner. Maybe like the people in the poems, you've, you've tried the, the, the cookies and the wine and maybe both, and you realize it doesn't work so well. And you're actually looking for something that really has more promise to it. And maybe you've tasted that promise. I want to say, I think this is important. This is what it is to come together on retreat. We come together with these like intentions. As I said last night, we come together like uh, milk and water. They blend together so easily. And yet, just to use this, this metaphor of milk and water coming together, we come together and yet there is difference, there is multiplicity in this room. And I want to name that and acknowledge that because whenever I give a Dharma talk, I want to point out that there is, a, is a, an active role that I invite you to partake in when you listen to me, to actively listen because some things that I'm going to say are going to speak to you or are going to really fit, and some things aren't going to fit. And it's important for you to get a sense of what works and what doesn't work. And I use a particular language because how I'm situated, socially located. And so it might need to take a certain kind of translating on your part as well. So tonight what I'd like to uh, share with you is I want to go over the refuges and precepts that can help frame what we're doing here and also help uh, uh, broaden um, an understanding of the foundation that we're trying to create as a community to really create this retreat. So I'm hoping, actually, I think Matthew and Don will uh, hand out this chanting sheet which has the refuges and precepts on it. And I'm going to use that as a, as a, a way of um, just sharing with you some some reflections that you might find helpful for your time here on retreat. So as you get this sheet, what you'll see on the left-hand side there is that the, the words on the left-hand side are in Pali, the, the, the scriptural language of early Buddhism. And I want to share with you a little bit about um, why we're going over this and the importance of it, and also a little bit about chanting, just in terms of um, that practice, which we'll be doing at, at 9 p.m. every night. And also to, to clarify it, because sometimes, you know, sometimes for some people, the experience of chanting, especially if there's been some kind of what I'd call religious wound in, in one's life, can be a tricky thing to navigate. And so hopefully, um, I want to support in resituating what it means to chant and what it means to, to um, examine such things as refuges and precepts. And the way I'd like to begin is, uh, did everybody get a a copy of the Refugees and Precepts? Meg, did you get a copy of her? So I want to start just with this very first word that you see in Pali, namo. Namo, one way to um, translate it is to pay homage or to honor. It it comes from this verb uh, namati, which literally means to bow down. So it's a kind of honoring. And for me, I think there's, there's many ways to understand this namo in terms of what we're doing here. And one way to understand it is that uh, what I feel, at least, uh, especially in the chanting, is it's a time to, to, to on- honor where all of this came from that we're exploring. And yes, there's a multiplicity of roots from which, uh, uh, from which all of this is coming from that we're sharing with you. you now, here's one root, this, this Pali language in this, this uh, tradition of early Buddhism. And I think it's, it's actually quite important to honor where this comes from because I think what can happen so easily is there can be uh, merely the taking from a tradition, which can happen very easily in a society like ours where there's so much of, a, of this influencing. I know I've, I've influenced, uh, been, been, this mind has been shaped by it in the sense of seeing what we're giving you as yet another commodity that we consume can be the common understanding in a consumeristic society. Just a commodity that we're giving you. Yet that that can really dismiss where this is arising out of, which really can actually cause a lot of pain on so many different levels. Yet when I honor, it, I allow myself to situate myself with, with this, this whole path with a quality of, of gratitude a quality of of humility. And it reminds me that what we're doing here is situated in a particular way. It's situated in a whole historical unfolding, in a way that that these teachings, at least for me, have been given or have been passed down to me by so many practitioners. Practitioners then handed to my teachers, which then is handed to me in some kind of way, and then I share as best I can with you. What a beautiful thing just to to have a quality of gratitude around that. And when I talk about this honoring, it doesn't mean that I have to believe everything that I receive from this living tradition. In some ways, I don't have to believe any of it. There might be many things within some kind of living tradition that I would never want to condone. So it's not about that. It's about having a a skillful relationship with what comes before us rather than a mere taking. So not about a believing or a condoning, but rather a simple honoring with gratitude. And for me also, what you might find, for those of you who are curious about it, what, I, what we'll do at 9 p.m. is this, chant, this chanting, is, is that it, I feel like it can also open the door to honor the sense of community or coming together as community. I think there's something so sweet about allowing our voices to blend, to blend like milk and water. It doesn't matter if we're in tune. It doesn't matter if we know how to say the words correctly but actually just to come together through sound. Blending in this way, coming together, yet honoring difference. And then the rest of that... uh, that first line. So, Namo, Namo, Tassa, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama, Samburasa. So, honoring the tasas to that. And then these are uh, titles of uh, the Buddha. Homage to the one who is blessed, worthy, and is rightly self awakened is one way of translating it. What does it mean to honor? The Buddha. We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that when we talk about the, the refuges. But hopefully we can broaden what that might mean for you. And I want to also say that, that when I go through these, there's a multiplicity of, of different ways of understanding what it means to, to go for refuge. And one of your tasks is to is see if there's some way to make meaning for it for you in your life. So let's, uh, we'll get back to the, the last of that, the Namotasa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambudasa. So that next line, the Budang Saranam Gachami. We'll just want to go over again the language. The, the Saranam just uh, means refuge, a true refuge in some way. And Gachami is the verb. Uh, which means I go, so I'm going for refuge. And when I think of going for refuge, what it reminds me is that it's a kind of reorienting of my life. And to me, this is the heart of what retreat is about, is it's a kind of reorientation. I quite actually reorient my life of coming into a different external environment. And then coming into this different environment allows me to reorient to a different internal space. Reorienting to what? Reorienting to what's important in my life. It's amazing how easy it is for me at times to forget what's truly important to me. You ever notice this? It's amazing. I feel like I can be clear about what's important to me, but so easy to forget. Milan Kundera put it well, the, the, uh, the author. He says, when you go fast, you forget. You ever notice this about your life? I know I do. When I'm going too fast internally, I forget. I forget what's really essential. And what I value sometimes about coming on retreat is I get to remember, to simply remember what's important. And in particular here, remembering the importance of being present. And when I reorient, it helps me also see how so often I can be orienting in my life to all those false refuges. And again, have you noticed where your heart and mind might habitually take refuge? I'm sure you all have your favorites. Whether it be the self-judgment or the worry or the anxiety. The obsessive quality of, I must always be a likable person. Getting things done, checking off the next point in the to-do list. Or some theme or belief, like there's something wrong with me. So what would it be like to reorient to a different refuge? The refuge of actually being here for your life in some manner. The refuge of touching what's important, truly important in your life. And this was a, an apt theme during the Buddha's time, maybe something that can be difficult for us, but to remember that, that some of the political systems or some of the systems of, of power during the Buddha's time were these feudal systems, So you would literally go for refuge a lot of times in some lord or king that would protect you. And then there would be some kind of relationship there to offer protection. So in the same way, a spiritual path can offer some kind of protection or refuge. And I'm sure for many of you, you know what I'm talking about. You wouldn't be here. You know that this practice, this path has been some kind of refuge for you. So taking refuge in what? What what could we take refuge in? And here we have it, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Buddha, Saranang, Gacchami. Dhammang, Saranang, Gacchami. Sangang, Saranang, Gacchami. So what is it to take refuge in the Buddha? What does that mean? to honor this Bhagavato Arahato, Sama, Buddhasa. So maybe a little story so we can get clear about whatever the Buddha is. Again, at least one way of understanding this. Once upon a time, so the story goes, There was this Brahmin, this Brahmin by the name of Dona. And Dona was walking along the road, and he saw the Buddha pass by him, fell ahead of him. And he was so moved. He was so moved by how the Buddha comported himself, just how the Buddha was, was, was walking. And not only so moved by that, but when Dona looked down on the ground where the Buddha had been walking he noticed these footprints and in the heel of the footprint it is said there is this wheel with a thousand spokes. So really this, he was seeing somebody that was walking in the world so radically, in such a radically different way. Touching the earth in a radically different way. Oh, Donna was... Pretty surprised by this and pretty moved by this. And so he follows the Buddha into the forest where the Buddha was, was meditating. And he found him there. And of course, out of his excitement, just decided to d- disrupt the Buddha's meditation. And I'm sure he said something, even though it might not be in the Pali this way. I'm sure he would have said something like, yo, what's up with the footprints? I have never seen anything like that. I mean, what are you? Are you some kind of like deity? And the Buddha said, no, 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 I'm not a deity. And then he went through all these other deities. Are you a Gandhaba? Are you a celestial being? And the Buddha kept saying, no, 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 no. And then he said, Well, well, are you a human being? And the Buddha said, No. And then Donna asked, Well, well, what are you? And the Buddha said, I am awake. What would it be like to rest there and simply being awake? Not even being a human being, to find your refuge in simply being awake. To me, there's something really powerful about honoring wakefulness, paying homage to wakefulness because of its potential to transform, because of its potential that it opens for the heart, for freedom, those possibilities. Maybe this is one way to Honor to take refuge in the Buddha. And then taking refuge in the Dhamma, the Dharma. How to get a sense of this? You know, one way of understanding taking refuge in the Dharma, is taking refuge in these teachings. Or to put it another way, in this technology, the technology of being awake. The how of how do we connect with this activity of being awake. Which you could say is really all what we're doing here on this retreat. We're just here to, to wake up, to, to rest and being awake. So how to do that? What's the technology of that, the method of that? And I want to share with you one image that you might want to keep in your mind for this retreat that might fit for some of you that I've found so helpful to, to get a sense of essentially what we're inviting you to do. And it comes from a teacher of mine, actually, a Tibetan teacher, Sokni Rinpoche. And he gives this image of being a door person, that your job on this retreat is so easy. All you have to do is when there's a guest that's coming through, you just need to open the door. That's all you need to do. Isn't that great? It's so easy. For, a, for an entire week, all you need to do is be the door person and open the door to all the guests that are coming through. So I wanna point out what this doesn't mean. So if there's a guest coming that you really don't like and you're trying to shut the door, that's not part of the job description. That wouldn't be being a door, door person. But it also means like if there's a really like enticing and guest, it's not that you go and follow them into the restaurant to have a meal and sit down and chat you got to stay at the door. Because if you're in the restaurant, you're not being a door person anymore. What's it like to stay at the door and keep the door open? Not getting lost in the restaurant or in the bathroom that the guest goes into. Just right at the door. And not closing the door. Just that simple. And to notice the guests to really see them fully. That's all you have to do. Isn't it cool how simple it is, what we're doing here? You just need to be the door person. And of course, it's a little trickier than that, because a lot of times what I find on the retreat is, I'm spending so much time in the restaurant. I love the meals that are given to me when I'm lost with that guest. Or this guest in some dream or fantasy or conversation. So then I got to remember, I got to remember to get back to the door. Or I end up shutting the door so often. So I need to remember, oh, this is what's going on. Is, is the door shut? And to open it. So I invite you, I invite you to to keep it that simple, to be the door person. This is the technology of being awake. What a beautiful thing to honor. What a beautiful thing to pay homage to. And then sangang, saranang, gachami. Taking refuge in sangha, in the sangha. Again, I want to keep it simple for tonight. Taking refuge in this community here. You know, it's true. No one can tread this path for you. And at the same time, you can't do it alone. You can't do this alone, and no one can do it for you. Both are true. And I get myself in trouble if I forget one of those. Yeah, I have to put forth effort. No one can do this for me. And boy, have I been burned so often when I forget that I can't do this alone. This path and this practice arises out of doing this together. I think there's something so diluted about just the statement that I wake up. This doesn't happen that way. We wake up. We wake up together. You know, this is something that I, I, I so appreciate about Thich Nhat Hanh, him saying that He feels that Maitreya Buddha, the the, the Buddha of the future, will come and manifest themselves as a community, not as an individual. This is what waking up is about. This is what it is to be the one who is awake, to see that, that we awaken in community. No one can do it for you, and you can't do it alone. And to take refuge in this. And I find it helpful for myself to remember that this is the context within which I'm practicing, a context of a community waking up. In some ways, I like this when I go on retreat, because then it takes the pressure off. Because sometimes, you know, people go on retreat, and then you feel like you have to get something out of retreat. you got to come home with something, some kind of transformative thing for yourself. But if this is really something that's much bigger than myself and something in some ways that I'm offering, I'm offering this to my community, I'm offering it to my friends and to my family, then it doesn't matter what happens on retreat because then I'm just offering my practice moment after moment. If I'm situated in giving rather than getting, my chances are much better for a good retreat. And again, I feel like there's something true about this. What would it be like to take refuge in that, to have a broader perspective of what we're doing, not just for me, but for our communities, for our family, for our friends, for this troubled world that we live in? No, what you do here ripples out into the world. There's no way that it can't. We don't live in a vacuum. It's impossible. So even if you were to come on retreat and say, damn it, I don't believe that. And this is all about me. I'm not going to buy any of that stuff. It's impossible because, because you interact with others. Even just you being here right now, right? There's, there's probably people that know that you're here on retreat. that has an impact, really a quite a beautiful impact in the world that we live in. What a beautiful thing that we get to partake in together. Such an offering, such an honoring, paying homage to the world that we live in through bringing a quality of healing, of awakening. These are some reflections on going for refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha to honor Namo in this way, to pay homage. And then these five precepts. So we start with this Pāṇāti Pāta Vēramini Sikha Padang Samadhyami that you'll see on your sheet there. Now before I, I, I talk that, I have to situate just how ethics plays in, in these teachings, because it can be really quite confusing. And so I just want to back up and give the bigger picture of this. It's important to remember that what the Buddha was really interested in, all he was interested in is just really having a good time. That's really what the Buddha was about. That was his teaching. Let's have a good time. So that's what we're doing here on retreat, right? We're just here to have a good time. And the cool thing about the Buddha is he really knew, knew how to have a really good time. And he said, if you want to have a really good time, you got to be ethical because it feels so good. There's so much pleasure in it. So I know for me, this is not the way I was taught about ethical conduct growing up as a Catholic. Maybe some of you can relate. This would never have been combined. But this is clearly how the Buddha spoke about it. He talked about the bliss, the bliss of blamelessness that comes from an ethical life. And so I want to point out, when I point out at these ethical trainings that I'm inviting you to partake in, It's in order to do them in a way that you can start to feel the pleasure of them. That it actually feels good to walk through the world with ethical integrity. And it's a training. I got to train myself to notice how good that feels. Because so often I can be living an ethical life and I don't even notice how great a thing it is, what a beautiful thing it is. And so tonight, also, I'm going to keep these precepts simple so that we can start to taste the pleasure of them. And when we partake in them, just to connect it with this, this quality of, of community, is that I get to offer something to the world that is so Beautiful. I get to become the best of beauties that's out there. So, even if you're on this retreat and you practice absolutely no mindfulness whatsoever, and there's just an, a quality of ethical integrity for the entire week that you're here, what a beautiful gift to the world that you live in! What a thing to enjoy. Just this second precept that we'll go over to take only what's freely given. Man, if if, if we were just to follow that one ethical guideline in this world, right, entire economic systems would have to change. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? And to embody that for a week. And it's so easy to bypass these things. And I invite you, when you're on retreats, especially at the end of the day, to reflect, well, wow, was, there, was, there was quite a bit of ethical integrity, integrity of, of, of how I live today. I didn't yell at anybody. I, didn't, I wasn't physically violent with everyone, anyone. Wasn't emotionally abusive. And sometimes we take that lightly, but that's a big thing in the world that we live in. What a beautiful thing to actually savor that. I remember this when I was uh, leading a retreat. I was leading a retreat with uh, my mentor. This was many years ago. This is uh, one of the first retreats I had co-taught with him. And at the end of the retreat, he looked at me and he said, Brian, we've done a good thing. I think I said something like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And if you knew my mentor, Eric Kovik, he's just like a soft, sweetie kind of guy. And he was so stern with me. He said, no, don't say that. Don't overlook this. This is such a beautiful thing that we've done. And to really take that in and to savor it. Can you savor the beauty that you're bringing into the world? And its I do want to say it's challenging because sometimes we have the habitual tendency of not being able to take in pleasure in our lives. Have you ever noticed this? Something's pleasurable and you can sometimes feel a contraction in your body or I don't deserve this, as if there's something scary about pleasure. And I invite you to not only savor the pleasure of ethical conduct, but savor the pleasure of being in such a beautiful place like Spirit Rock or the the pleasant feelings that might come with the breath or walking to open to them. It's tough. Alison Luterman puts it well. She, she has this poem. She begins, I'm scared. I'm scared to confess to happiness. I'm scared to confess to happiness. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven, how they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But for just this moment, I want what I have. For just this moment, can you simply want what what you have? To be content with this moment. To actually be awake to it. So to open to the pleasure of ethics. Now we got to get through the five precepts. So I'm going to keep them simple, but this isn't intentional. You know, there's some ideas out there that the five precepts on one level, and I want to say there's so much nuance to our ethical integrity, but on one level that it's important to keep them simple for this simple practice of enjoying them. And yes, I think it's important to see the complexity of being an ethical being. So I'm not trying to dismiss that, but but I'm creating this invitation to feel the pleasure of this. So, panatipata, wheremani, sika padang, samadhyami. So, the language around this is, is the language of abstention. So, wheremani is to abstain. To abstain from uh, the first word, panatipata, to kill living beings, pana, prana, a, li, uh, a breathing being. Sika padang is. The the word there is that this is a training. So, pad, it comes from ped. Foot, it's a path. So this isn't a commandment. This is a training. This is something I'm training in, which means that I get to be imperfect in this. And samadhyami, the key part is the D, which actually comes from a word that many of you know, dana. But it's it's so it's it's connected to myself. I'm giving to myself. I'm actually offering to this to myself. I'm giving to this to myself. This training, of abstaining from killing, a living being. The opposite of that is kindness that we've talked about. So not intentionally harming another living being. Adinadana werame ni sikapadang samadiyami. Not to steal to practice generosity and practicing generosity through this training in silence that we offer one another. Brahmacharya, charya Sika Badang, samadhyami To undertake the training rule to abstain from all sexual activity. Sexuality can be such a beautiful expression of love and connect, connection and intimacy. So this isn't about dissing being a sexual being. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not what we're looking at here. But on retreat, it can be so wonderful to set that aside, one, so that we can cultivate a quality of sexual safety with one another, which is a beautiful thing actually to offer. And to, to open up actually different ways of allowing the heart to be moved rather than always being kind of by the leash of sometimes our desires. To open up and to examine actually what it is to be a sexual being in a different context. So we're not following those impulses, but getting a sense of really sensing into them. So, in light of this, I do want to say there is a kind of way of abstaining which can be really helpful on retreat. Which is, this also includes not only abstaining from sexual activity, but it also includes like. If you find yourself attracted to someone on retreat, and this happens all the time, I can't tell you how many times this comes up on retreat of somebody telling me this, is you, you know you end up kind of wanting to be in the line next to the person that you find yourself attracted to. Well, maybe I'll just be kind of close to them, or you're kind of walking close to them, or maybe you'll kind of sit close to them in the dining hall in some kind of way. That also is something that we're trying to let go of on retreat. So if there's something that you're attracted to on retreat, so that means if they sit somewhere in the dining hall, your your job is to sit in the opposite part of the dining hall. To actually uh, have some space from them. Not because there's something evil or bad of that impulse, but so we can actually take some time to examine this impulse, to be with it in a different way, rather than to blindly follow it. And it actually does create a, a, an even deeper sense of safety for a retreat. Musa wada weramani sika padang Samadhyami. To abstain from wrongful speech. That'll be easy, right? Silence. Nice. Sweet. Check that one off the mark, off, off the list. I might say some more things about that tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Sura meria majapamma datana weramani sikapadang samadhyami. To abstain from taking kind of recreational drugs or things simply to cloud the mind, of course, if you have prescription drugs that are supporting the, the stability of the heart and mind, of course, taking those. So this commitment to clarity of mind. And then the imang pancha silang samadhyami, undertaking these training roles together idang me silang magapala nyanasa ho May this may this ethical integrity help to bring about awakening. So magapala is a path and fruition, and so it's a classical way of talking about uh, the liberation of the heart and mind. And then upamade na is the actually those were the last words of the Buddha. Actually, the another phrase, sabbe, sankara, anicca. All things are impermanent. Madena sampadeta. To strive on, to strive on with diligence. And ease. Don't forget the ease. It's not really in there, but we'll, 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 we'll add it. And then the sadhu. I think the best translation for sadhu that I got was from a friend, which just means, right on. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the perfect translation. It's good stuff. So reminders, and again I'll speak about this tomorrow because it's going to be part of the retreat. Is please don't forget the pleasure of the ethical integrity that you have here. The pleasure of being here at Spirit Rock, the pleasure of the breath. And of course, when I say that, I do have to acknowledge you know, a lot of times you don't have a choice. You know, sometimes just retreat life is just plain old miserable. So I, I want to acknowledge that you don't get to choose either. But if it's there, to savor it. And, uh, and that you just have one job on retreat, which is to be uh, a door person. So very simple. And then uh, lastly, do please come if... Uh, you don't have to, you know, you're your own master, but please come to the nine o'clock so we can chant together. Give it a try. And if you totally hate it, you don't have to come back. (laughs) Also, you could just come and listen too if you're a little bit uh, nervous about it or just want to listen in. So may our practice this, uh, this week go to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. So let's just sit in very briefly here.